It's an intimate and wounding act, as common as rain, made more painful because it is visited on erstwhile friends. It also seemed an indelible feature of politics. It's a subject of the arts, from Caravaggio to Martin Scorsese, and Christianity makes no sense without it. These are Philip Dodd's words and definition of the subject of betrayal from his BBC radio podcast, talking about betrayal as something that is intimate, that deeply wounds us. But as I had listened to his podcast on betrayal, one of the things that was interesting to me is he said, Christianity makes no sense without it. And I thought, how is that possible? When we think about the things that make Christianity unique, we think about grace, we think about forgiveness, we think about compassion. We don't really think about betrayal, but we're reminded of the story of Jesus on the way to the cross. When Jesus is arrested on that famous night, he's turned in to the Romans. It's not just his own people who turn it in. It's, it's one of his inner 12. It's one of his closest friends. One, someone that he has spent t- three years together, doing everything together. One of his disciples. A disciple and rabbi relationship. The man's name is Judas. We know that Judas betrays Jesus to the authorities. In that famous story in Luke chapter 22, verse 48, as Judas comes up to betray Jesus, and we all know that he does so with a kiss, Jesus' words are, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? With a kiss. It's interesting. This is one of our defining moments in our gospel story because a kiss is something that's intimate. A kiss is something that represents love and intimacy and friendship or something deeper. But a kiss in that time, in that culture, you would greet one another with a kiss, right? If you see that in some Middle Eastern cultures, kissing someone on the cheek. He greets Jesus with a kiss, and that very greeting is the signal for those who arrest Jesus. Betrayal requires a bond. When you're betrayed by something, it's something, uh, a friendship of trust. The definition of betrayal is an act of deliberate disloyalty. It comes from the, the root word, Middle English, of uh, bitrayan, meaning to mislead or to deceive. Betrayal is a, a terrible thing for relationships. If you've been betrayed before, you know the pain of what betrayal feels like. Uh, we're starting a series today called Canyons. And kind of the premise of the series is we want to talk about where God is in some of our lowest, darkest moments. Our canyon experiences. And when you think about even the idea of canyons, you think of the Grand Canyon, what's interesting is that canyons are created by erosion. Canyons are created by something being taken away from the ground. And yet it produces something beautiful. We drive to the Grand Canyon to stare at it, to marvel at the wonder of the Grand Canyon. I think the same thing happens in our life. We go through these experiences that feel like erosion, that feel like things are being pulled away, taken from our soul. And yet, at the same time, it's possible that God is creating something beautiful from that experience. We also are calling this series Canyons because uh, we go through different seasons in life. We have these mountaintop experiences where things are great. We feel filled up. They're life-giving. We're excited. We have these valley experiences where we feel down, low, depressed. There's an oppression, weight, heaviness. Um, There's moments that are even lower than that where it's like we're below sea level. We're in these canyon experiences and we feel like we're at rock bottom. Where is God 
in those moments. Uh, last year, one of our men's groups that meets on a Friday morning was going through a Bible study, and we were looking at the life of David. We kind of just followed through David's life. And uh, one of the things that was really interesting, as we kind of saw the ups and downs studying through the life of David, uh, you start to see all these stories in David's life. And what you find is that from these stories, are, he writes these psalms. We have the book of Psalms in Scripture, the prayers of, uh, of God's people, many of them written by David. And many of them have backstories. There's a story that happens in David's life. He goes through this wild experience, and he writes a psalm from it. And what we want to do with this series is we kind of talk about some of these heavy, dark moments, whether it's uh, betrayal or fear or shame or the things that cause deep anxiety, is that what we find from David is he goes through these experiences, he writes these psalms, and we have these prayers and psalms to pray through these experiences that we go through. And we meet God in the canyons of life. Here's the premise of this uh, series, is that the Psalms, they teach us how to pray in the canyons. The ups and downs of life that we go through, the things that are confusing, the things that we don't understand, the things where we become victimized. We have these Psalms, and what we find is that the Psalms are are prayers for us, crying out to God. Some of them are songs of praise. Some of them are songs of lament. Some of them are songs of great grief. Some of them are dealing with terrible things that have happened to us. And yet the Psalms give us a language and a way to pray to God, to say, God, where are you in the midst of these canyon experiences? How do we pray with you? So today I want to look at this story in David's life. And the story takes place in 1 Samuel chapter 19. And the correlating psalm that comes with it is Psalm 59. And in this story, uh, some of us are familiar with like David and Goliath. Whether you're new to church or new to scripture, most of us know the story of David and Goliath. David defeats this giant. Well, at the time, there was this man named Saul who was king. And Saul uh, was kind of leading God's people. Uh, David comes along. He's this warrior. Uh, He's actually a shepherd, but he becomes real famous for slaying the giant. And what we find is that Saul becomes very jealous of David because David is this hero. David gets all the recognition. Uh, David's kind of this rising star. Everyone kind of looks at him as, you know, helping deliver God's people from the giant, and Saul gets jealous. And what we find in uh, 1 Samuel 19 is that Saul told his son Jonathan, who's good friends with David, that he's going to kill David. And David's like, "Uh uh-oh, it's not good. So David and Jonathan are talking, and he's like, you got to convince your dad that I'm on his side. I'm fighting these battles to help him and help our kingdom. I'm a good guy. And Jonathan's like, I'm going to try to convince him. And goes to King Saul and has this conversation. He's like, listen, you've got it all wrong. David is for you. He's on your side. He's helping you win these battles. And like Saul's kind of like processing, you know, going through some of this paranoia, thinking, you know, David's trying to, you know, take my throne, and everyone likes him, and no one likes me. And finally, Saul decides, you know what, you're right. You're right. David probably is a good guy. And he actually says this, if you go to the next verse. He says, uh, Saul listened to David and took his oath, this oath, as surely as the Lord lives, David, I will not put, you will not be put to death. Have this conversation, and Saul's like, I believe you, you're on my side, and I'm making an oath that I will not harm you. Nothing's going to happen to you. You're going to be fine. So David's like, okay, settle that. That's good. 
Philistines come back, another war breaks out. Guess who becomes the hero? David. Guess who becomes jealous? Saul. Same thing starts over. We find that their relationship, this is constantly happening. Again, uh, Saul gets jealous of David, wants David out of the picture. And it says that there's actually the spirit of the Lord that comes and it oppresses Paul. We're not really sure exactly what that is, but Saul goes nuts and tries to kill David. And here we have the story. Go to the next verse. It says, uh, while David's playing the harp, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. But David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. And that night, David made good his escape. So David goes back. Uh, he uh, goes to, to, to Michael, who's Saul's daughter. Um, tells her what happened. She helps him get out of the window, or out of, get to escape from Saul, lowers him out of the window. Um, Saul sent men to David's house to watch it and to kill him in the morning. So David's like, you just made this oath that, like, I'm safe, and now you're, you tried to kill me, like in, like, in front of everybody, and I go home, and now you're pursuing me, and you've sent men to uh, my, my door to wait for me to kill me. So he just gets out. He gets out of town, um, and, and something really kind of interesting happens. Uh, Michael decides, I'm going to help David escape, and Saul's men are going to come through, and she does a little, little switcheroo where she takes a statue, and she puts it in bed and puts a wig on it, and Saul's men come to the door, and they're like, where's David? We're going to kill him, and she's like, he's really sick. He can't come out right now, and they're like, whatever, and they look in, and they're like, oh, yeah, he does look sick, and uh, it fools them, and so they go back to Saul, and then they come back, and they're like, we think he's in there, and I don't care if he's sick, and they come in to kill him, and then they find, like, we've been duped. Oh, my goodness, there was a statue in the bed, and it wasn't David, and David escaped. Um, it really happens. I don't know if it's the first time it happened, but they, fool, they fall for it. Um, and then David's on the run. And as David is on the run, he's dealing with being pursued by someone who is trying to take his life, not just someone who's trying to take his life, uh, his king. His king who he's friends, he's friends with the family. He's part of the family, and Saul wants to take his life. And in the midst of that experience, in the midst of that experience, he writes a song to deal with it. I don't know if you've ever experienced betrayal. You've ever had someone tell you one thing and then break their oath to you, or tell you one thing and do something else, or someone who was close to you who decided to, to betray you. I think what's interesting is even as Jesus is betrayed with a kiss, the thing that's so painful about betrayal is people do bad things to each other all the time. But when it's a person that's not supposed to do a bad thing to you and they betray you, that's extremely painful. Maybe you've had this. Maybe you've had um, you know, a loved one who's betrayed you. Maybe it's a business partner that's cheated you. Maybe it's a family member who's betrayed your trust. Uh, the other night we were having dinner, and dinner at our house is just chaotic. We have four kids. Um, and before we started dinner, Marcy had got home from Costco, and she had gotten all these uh, mini Pop-Tarts. And we're like, ooh, those look good. And all the kids wanted the mini Pop-Tarts. And uh, we were like, okay, like, they're for breakfast, but you know what? We're fun parents. We're going to let you have mini Pop-Tarts <laughs> if you eat your dinner. And our thought was like, this is how we'll get them to eat their dinner. Uh, you go to these weird bargaining things with kids when you're in our stage of life. And so all the kids are eating their dinner, and Lila is sitting there. Lila's almost three. Um, and she always like brings to dinner like her, her toy teapots. And like as we're having dinner, she's like pouring tea for everyone. You know, it's like so fun, so cute. 
And she won't eat her dinner. We're like, Lila, if you want, if you want the mini Pop-Tarts, you need to eat your dinner. And because of the chaos, we're talking to Micah and Sophia and Ezra. Everyone's like telling about their day, and we're not really paying attention to Lila. And all of a sudden, we look, and Lila's dinner's gone. And she's like, it's all gone. I'm ready for Pop-Tarts. And we're like, good job. That's great, Lila. That's awesome. Good job. So like we're, we're like cleaning up dinner. And as Marcy's like cleaning up the teapot, she opens it. And what does she find? All of Lila's dinner stuffed into the toy teapot. And we were like, what? <laughs> like, Lila, get back in here. Give us those mini Pop-Tarts. And she comes back in. And we're like, this is not OK. You told us you ate your dinner. And you put it in the teapot. And like, that's not being honest. You have betrayed our trust. She's just looking at us like, with this smile, like, what are you going to do about it? And I'm like looking down at her thinking, she's not even three yet. She's not even, and she's got this program to, and what happens, I think, and this is what happens with, with Saul, is so often we want something so badly, or we desire something so badly, um, we're, we're willing to go to great lengths to it. It happens, it starts very early on in life. For Saul, it was driven by his own agenda, by his own insecurity, by his, what, what he wanted to accomplish. Lila just wanted Pop-Tarts, right? But there's this, there's something in, in, inside that says, I want, and for Marcy and I, it's like, this isn't like great betrayal, right? Like this, but for the first time, we're like, we got to watch this child. She has betrayed our trust. She told us one thing, and then she did another. And by the way, I, Lila is... So precious, you wouldn't believe that she'd be able to do that. This is why we're like so shocked by this. Um, but in order to have betrayal, you must have a bond. You must have trust. You know, an enemy can't betray you, but someone close to you can. I think about my life, the, the times that I've been betrayed, um, you know, especially, and you've probably experienced this early on in life when you're kids and you're in love and you're trying to figure things out, high school dating, and all of a sudden the person that you're dating betrays you. Um, I remember the first time I had my heart broken. And you're, you're dealing with the sense of betrayal. It's a sense of loss. And here's what I found in those experiences. When you are betrayed by someone, when someone hurts you that shouldn't hurt you, that should be looking out for you, something happens inside of your heart. And you get past it. But those kind of wounds don't quite heal the same way as other wounds, do they? When you have something that hurts you, we try to heal from it. We try to move on. But when there's like a brokenness of trust, a brokenness of a bond, that kind of healing looks a little bit different. It's a lot harder to heal from such, such an act that causes you pain. There's something deeper that happens with, with betrayal. The author, uh, Miniko Awasaki, Japanese author, uh, says this about betrayal. Stab the body and it heals, but injure the heart and the wound lasts a lifetime. Stab the body and it heals, but injure the heart and the wound lasts a lifetime. Maybe you've experienced this. Some, someone close to you has betrayed you. And you've realized, yeah, I'm moving on, I'm healing, but this feels a little bit different than the other pain I've experienced in life. This one heals differently. There's, there's a wound on my heart, and it feels different. David says this. He gets wounded by, by his king, this person he's sacrificing for, this person he's trying uh, to honor. And as he's running for his life, in verse 
Psalm 59. He says this to God, deliver me from my enemies, O God. Be my fortress against those who are attacking me. Deliver me from evildoers and save me from those who are after my blood. See how they lie and wait for me. Fierce men conspire against me for no offense or sin of mine, Lord. He's done nothing wrong. He says, I have done no wrong, yet they are ready to attack me. Arise and help me. Look to my plight. Here we have David crying out in the midst of this betrayal where he's on the run. He's crying out to God. And these words all of a sudden have something very uh, powerful about them. Here's what I find in the Psalms. Charles Spurgeon wrote this great commentary on the Psalms, and he says this, out of, our sour, ungener- out of the sour, ungenerous soil of David's circumstances spring up honey-bearing flowers of the Psalms. Out of the sour, ungenerous soil of David's circumstances spring up the honey-bearing flowers of the Psalms. We go to the Psalms because we, we see God's people who have experienced the most gut-wrenching things about life, and in the midst of their circumstances, through prayer, something beautiful springs out of these prayers. And for David, as we hear these words, we start to realize this is a real human experiencing uh, terrible things, and he comes to God in prayer. And these Psalms are something that just burst forth, giving new life in the midst of terrible circumstances. There was something that happened this week uh, on the news, and uh, I, I feel like I could, I could chase the news every week in my sermons. I could constantly be trying to respond to the news, and uh, we live in this world that is, um, there, there, there's like hyper outrage about everything. Um, we have these things that trigger us, and it just feels like if you're on social media, if you're watching the news, the world's like literally just falling apart around us. And sometimes we get so stressed out, and I, I just tell like my wife, just turn off the news and just love your neighbors and your family because it's just it feels like crazy town out there. But this thing happened, and when I saw it, it was so different than the stories that we usually hear on the news. And some of you know this story. Uh, there was a terrible tragedy that happened in Dallas. Uh, there was a, a female cop who walked into what she thought was her own house, her own apartment, um, and found some intruders. But it turns out she was in the wrong apartment, and there were two uh, men inside. She pulled out of her gun, shot one of them, and killed them, not realizing she was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, and if you're kind of following the narrative of our culture, you realize this is a trigger moment. Like, people are going to go nuts about this. And uh, the response is she goes to trial, she gets conviction, the brother of the man that dies shows up. And the way that he responds to her uh, is unbelievable. I don't know if you had a chance to see it. I think, do we have the video? Buck, let's just watch. This is the brother's response to the female cop. I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did. But I see, I, I personally want the best for you. 
and I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. Powerful moment. Betrayal makes Christianity, it's something unique about Christianity because of how we respond. Doesn't mean that it's easy. How do you get to a place where you can forgive like this? How can you get to a place where you wish the best for someone who's harmed you or harmed someone close to you? Psalm 59, David writes about betrayal. But there's another psalm that is close to it, Psalm 55, that's known as the Psalm of Betrayal. I think when things happen to us, when we're processing uh, those things, this psalm I have found, um, there's four movements in it that are extremely healthy that allow us as followers of Jesus to respond well. Psalm 55 says this, Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me, and I am distraught because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked, for they bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. The first thing that this psalm tells us to do is to turn to God. This psalm of betrayal, David writes this, he says, listen to my prayer, O God. The first thing he does is he turns to God. David, who's had men chasing after his own life, who's been betrayed by family, betrayed by those who should love him. First thing he does is he turns to God. The second thing that we find of the movement to deal with betrayal is he grieves the experience with God. And I think this is important. We come to God with our issue. We lay it before him, but we also grieve the experience. He says, my heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter, far from the tempest and storm." These are the words of someone who's going through just extreme emotions, anguish, pain. This is grieving. And David comes to God with his grief. 
And he says, my heart feels like there's anguish inside of me. My heart has been wounded. There's great pain here. He turns to God and he grieves and he grieves with God. And then the next thing he does is he confesses the desire for justice. And I, here's what I found that's really powerful about the Psalms. He says this, Lord, confuse the wicked and confound their words, for I see violence and strife in the city. He's wishing, Lord, confuse the wicked, confound their words. What you'll find with a lot of these Psalms is that, that David confesses what he wants done. He doesn't do what he wants done. He goes to God and he says, let me get this out. I want terrible things for these people who have done terrible things to me. Sometimes you're reading the Psalms of David and you're like, I, that shouldn't be in the Bible. That is, whoo, you can't think that about people, right? And what we find is that David does. But he does it to God. He does it through prayer. When I watch this video and I think about how this guy is able to forgive, I wonder what he, in his heart, how he's dealt with it with God. And my guess is that he's been able to God, go to God, you know, wanting the justice, wanting to see, and then, and then something healing happens when we confess and we vent those feelings to God. Because God can handle that. And those feelings are natural. Psalms allow us to do that. It's like just this, like for me sometimes, it's almost like all of the, just the toxic stuff, I could just go to God and say, here's what I really want to happen. And God can absorb it. God can handle it. To confess our desire for justice, for vengeance. And then the fourth thing is to surrender the outcome to God. Down in verse 22, it says, Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. But you, God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of decay. The bloodthirsty and the deceitful will not live out, their, out, their, out half their days. But as for me, I trust in you. Being able to surrender these outcomes to God, to cast your anxiety on him, to cast your cares on him, knowing that God is sovereign, that God is just, that God sees you in the midst of the pain that's been caused towards you. Eugene Peterson says this about the Psalms. As we read the Psalms, as we pray the Psalms, as we process these canyon experiences, it says, only as we develop raw honesty and detailed thoroughness in our praying do we become holy and truly human in Jesus Christ, who also prayed the Psalms? These Psalms allow us to process. Here we turn, we grieve, we confess, and we surrender outcomes to God. Betrayal is something that's unique to Christianity because when Jesus is betrayed, the night that he's betrayed, he's arrested. And what we find is that he's taken to the cross He's betrayed by one who is close to him, but he goes to the cross for his love for the guy that betrays him. And the cross does something for us. We talk about how the cross is something that takes the punishment of our sin. We say that the, the cross is this moment of atonement, all the things that we've done wrong, wrong that have separated us from God. Here at the cross, what we find is that Jesus makes a way for us to be connected to him again. We're no longer separated from Jesus. I've also found that this is the power of the cross. That not only the things that I've done that separate me from God, but the things that others have done to me that I want justice. I trust the cross. That on the cross, as Jesus died, as he takes the punishment for sin, for punishment, for evil, all of that, 
I trust that, that the things that I want set right will be set right because of who Jesus is and what he's doing in this world. And I'm able to surrender outcomes to him because of that. We serve this just God who sees what's been done to us. And because of the cross, meets us here, offering us life that's eternal. Today, as we kind of look at this psalm and we think about these movements, I don't know what you're feeling right now. Maybe it's some small betrayal, like your three-year-old daughter betrayed you. Or maybe it's something much deeper. And you realize this wound isn't healing. It doesn't heal the same as other wounds. Today, we invite you to do something that is a little bit different. We have the cross set up here. And this cross represents Jesus who was betrayed and still would go to, the, to death for his enemies. That the power of God's love breaks through the hate of this world. And maybe today you've been realizing that this wound isn't healing right and you just need to come to the cross. Up here at the cross we've got a couple pieces of paper and some pens. And uh, here's what we invite you to do. If there's this this wound that's not healing, this person that's hurt you. Uh, we invite you to come to the cross and write down the initials of the person. I won't see it, they won't see it. You can fold it up and just drop it at the foot of the cross. You turn to God, you grieve, and allow God to meet you here. Maybe you need to do that today. We have a couple of people up here that would be love to just pray with you uh, on each side of the cross. Um, you can avoid them if you want to just be between you and God. If you'd like someone to just pray with you today, um, they're willing to pray as well. We're going to take some time to just bring, bring these pains to the cross. Uh, we're also going to take a time of communion. As Tim comes back up, communion for us represents this act of our God who was betrayed and still went to the cross out of his love for humanity. I need that. I realize that I am someone who's betrayed others, that there's great brokenness in my own life. There's pain that I caused. And I find that through this death and resurrection of Jesus, uh, there's forgiveness. And I come to the table, and you're invited to the table, uh, and there's these elements that represent God's body that was broken open on the cross and his blood that was shed and poured out to make us right again. And we do this in remembrance of him. And so when you're ready, if you want to take communion, you can move to both sides of the room. We have communion set up. But let's just take some time to process. Wherever you're at in your life, wherever you're at with these relationships, we're going to create just some space to pray, uh, to sing, um, to remember, and allow God to meet us here. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your word where we hear these stories and we're reminded of uh, the problems that we're dealing with today are just human problems, and they've been happening throughout history. We see stories of David, who's betrayed. We see your story, Lord, and how you were betrayed. And many of us, Lord, have experienced those feelings of betrayal, and they leave wounds on our heart. Wounds that don't heal the same way, wounds that don't heal easily. And yet there's this desire to be made whole. And we come to you today, Lord, and just say, would you meet us here at the cross? 
Would you bring about the healing that we need? Would you bring about uh, words of wisdom for us? Would you relieve the weight and pain that comes from betrayal? We turn to you, Lord. We grieve. We confess. We surrender. And it's in your son's name we pray.